Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, today we've got a guest, Manny Navarro. What, did we come up with a nickname for him? Was he just Florida man? I feel like that's taken. So I don't, we, we kind of need a name for him. Are any suggestions? Sexy works. Okay. Sexy, Sexy works Florida. For me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My wife calls me all the time. Yeah. I mean, hey, <laughs> if you, Manny, I would say if you got it, flaunt it. So there we go. Um, He's so got man, all those uh, hot Florida summers that help him shed the, the shed the the weight around the face, too, because he's got a nice chiseled jaw because of all that sweating. <laughs> All right, I think this is turning in into Dalla- a different. This is in turning Dallas, into a different you have to podcast. pay like fifty bucks a month for a sauna pass in in Florida. It's you, free you and just, no income tax. Just open your car door and let the let the heat hit you, and you'll lose ten pounds. Yeah. So uh, good show today. We're going to talk to Manny. Uh, just recruiting in the state of Florida. Um, he did a recruiting mailbag a few weeks ago, just on recruiting in the state of Florida. The the, the the big three there. You, I guess, is it a big four soon? I don't know. We'll have to talk to Manny about it. If it's going to be a big four soon, then you got USF. Um, him and uh, Manny and Grace put together a recruiting confidential, an ACC recruiting confidential in two parts that was out yesterday. And that'd be Tuesday and Wednesday. Some good stuff there. And we're going to talk Cormani McLean all going on there. Probably touch on Jaden Rashada. There's actually some commitments in the 2024 class. Some things are happening there. So, Manny, let's and start And we also off. have to talk about how Georgia has six top 100 players committed already in 2024. Okay. Uh, we just did. Um, yeah. So, off to a good start. But, Manny... Can we start it with Cormani McLean? Because I'm fascinated by this. Sure. Um, Mitch, well, I didn't mean to hijack you there. That's where you, that's exactly what I was going to say. But go ahead. You know, okay. I, I would have been a little more eloquent than you, but that's good enough. Go ahead, Manny. Well, I, I don't know where you guys want me to start with him, uh, other than the fact that obviously he's pretty good at, at lying on Instagram and telling people <laughs> he's in Tampa when he's really in Colorado, taking an official visit with Dion. Uh Look, I, I, I first really got to know Cormani back in March. Uh, I drove up to Lakeland High School when uh, Mario Cristobal was actually going to go uh, give a speech at his team awards banquet. For obvious reasons, Mario's a smart guy, right? Take advantage of the, <laughs> of the situation to try to recruit a guy. Um, so you're and- saying he knew that Cormani <laughs> McLean was on the uh, there? Yes, yes. He, <laughs> he had a good feeling he was going after Cormani. And, and so anyway, to make a long story short, like uh, – he was always sort of guarded. Like his mom was always sort of involved in the picture in the sense of she didn't really want him doing interviews. And so I got a chance to talk to him maybe for five minutes on my own. His mom saw I was interviewing him. Next thing I know she's there and just kind of like protecting him a little bit. Like, Hey, you know, we're, we're filming a documentary. She tells me he's really not doing interviews. And so I knew like, this is going to be one of those circus recruitments, right? Like there's going to be some wild twists and turns and, and so for a long time, I think the feeling was because Lakeland High School, where it's located, the uh, the Pouncey Twins, if you remember them, of course, both played in the yep. NFL, Mike and... Uh, were they good? Bro- yeah, they were, they were all right. They weren't bad. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so they have a big influence. They're both Florida Gators. And, and the feeling was, okay, this is Gator country. He's going to end up being with the Gators. And then, of course, in October, commits to Miami. 
everybody's sort of shocked. Okay, this has to do with Ruiz, NIL, right? That's why he's picking Miami. This is this is why Miami's getting the number two recruit. Well, long, long story short now, uh, he, he you know, commits to Miami. We go through signing day. Nothing happens. He doesn't sign. And we're all just kind of baffled because at the state championship game, he's holding up the U. He's doing the whole taking pictures, selling it like it's going to be a hurricane. And and now it's just become this big mystery. And and I think the feeling from Miami side of it is he's going to flip to Colorado. That's where he's going to end up. Uh, Alabama was in the picture for a little while. Then they got Desmond Ricks uh, to jump on board with their class uh, on signing day or the day after signing day. Um, and, and so it, at this point, I think, most people around Miami think he's going to end up in Colorado, but we're not 100% sure. He, who, who knows what's going to happen here? I just think the, the prevailing feeling is it's Colorado. Now, I, I think I read somewhere you wrote in one of your many Carmani McLean pieces, while this is clearly a five-star guy, and I think he's number two in the composite, that there's mm-hmm. some thinking there that he is not a immediate plug-and-play as a freshman, which is always difficult for a, a cornerback. Is that an accurate assessment, or am I interpreting things incorrectly there? Yeah, I think he's a guy that has to put on weight. I mean, he's about 6'2", 170 pounds. He probably needs another 10 pounds to really, you know, go out there and, and, and be a full-time starter for you to take the kind of hits and stuff that he's going to take at the college level uh, playing against guys that are his size or bigger. Um, but he's he's obviously a talent. I mean, um, having watched him on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit when he was going up against other elite kids nationally, there were times he got exposed. He was trying to kind of bait the quarterbacks into – throwing the ball towards him so he could intercept it. And instead, he was getting beat over the top. And it happened quite a bit. So to me, he looked like a guy that when he gets to college, he's going to need uh, to kind of be coached up a little bit uh, and, and put, you know, given some time to put on weight. But, you know, without a doubt, he's an NFL prospect, a guy that you, you would think would end up playing on Sundays. Ari, this is kind of what we thought when Dion took over, that we, you know, we thought he was going to start flipping guys left and right. And he did the Dylan Edwards flip, which, as you reported, there was, a, there was history there. He knew the family. So this is really the... To me, Deion's done a lot of good things, but this is the one that really announces what he can get done there. Yeah, the thing that I think is interesting is that when McLean committed to Miami, like you said, Manny, that people assumed that there was NIL involved, right? And let's be honest, there probably was or is, right? Um, Is the power of Deion Sanders, because I can't imagine that Colorado can get the money together the same way Miami could, Mm -hmm. is the Deion Sanders factor at Colorado enough to outweigh the financial benefits of playing at a place in Florida? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately here it's the it's the complete package, right? Like I mentioned earlier, um, Cormani's mom mentioning how they were having a, you know, sort of filming a documentary of Cormani or whatever and following him around. Uh, Dion obviously is doing that with Amazon, right? With Prime, he just put out those videos, those four, that four video segment on Prime. And, uh, you know, I, I think maybe the thought process is if you come play with Dion, you're going to kind of get the, the, the TV exposure, the national exposure that you want to help your branding, et cetera. So I think in that regard, that's where Colorado probably has the advantage. I don't think Mario Cristobal is going to be cool with anybody following <laughs> McLean around Coral Gables and filming everything and putting that online. He's very secretive, obviously. So um, I think that's the advantage. In the end, you know, where the money come from, comes from and how they get it to him, I don't know. I, I would assume that a guy like Cormani is going to make money no matter where he goes. And without question, I think NL, you know, NIL plays a factor in all this. Well, that's an interesting discussion, Mitch, and I'll, I'll get your, your take on this. But, you know, we always talk about Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson and some of these big-time programs that 
you know, have things to offer outside of just financial inducement, right? Um, you know, the ability to come in and play for national championships. You have a track record of development. We've talked about that at nauseum. I'm, I'm going to steal from your mailbag today. I thought you had a, you phrased it perfectly, Ari, about those schools like that might be able to give you things that you can't deposit immediately in your checking account. That's right. Um, but I think that Colorado one is a really good example of it. It's like Agreed. in the world of NIL, exposure, being a personality, branding is all very important. Now, that might not be a direct deposit the day you sign, but if you believe in your ability as a player and you know your opportunity of being on YouTube and all that stuff has a chance to help your brand, um, I think that's a very interesting way to look at it. And I thought about this a lot with Travis Hunter. Like when Travis Hunter went to Jackson State, um, you know, he kind of – we didn't really watch him play that much because he was at Jackson state and it wasn't, you know, the typical power five or big time group of five games that we watch on TV on Thursday through Saturday and sometimes Sunday. Um, But then once he decided to enter the transfer portal, he had a brilliant idea to say, I'm going to announce my decision when my YouTube channel gets um, up to a hundred thousand subscribers. And I thought that was brilliant because I went online and I looked, if you have a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube, I think that's in between six and eight grand a month. You know, and when you look at just the ability to brand yourself that way, um, you know, taking it into your own hands and making money legally and doing things that, you know, aren't reliant on, you know, collectives and NIL people who, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into the Jaden Rashada discussion again, uh, might not pay or be about what they say they're about when they're recruiting you. Um, so that to me is a very interesting aspect to this whole thing um, is betting on yourself and going to a place that. You know, doesn't have a proven head coach in terms of winning, but has a brand juggernaut that can get you on Amazon Prime and might, you know, put you in a better position to be a more marketable player. Yeah, I think that's all accurate and kind of what, again, you you touched on in your mailbag. All right, this is sort of related to that. While You made the point that while if you look at the top two teams in the recruiting rankings this year, Alabama and Georgia, sure, they're involved in the NIL space, but they're probably not the two schools that paid the most as quote unquote inducements is because kids go there for other reasons, namely to win a national championship and to develop into a draft pick. We don't need to revisit last week's discussion about recruiting versus developing draft picks. But I, I do think the Cormani, if, if it is in Col- if it is in fact Colorado, this is fascinating. Because Colorado is, un- is unparalleled in that regard. There's no other program in the country that will get you that much FaceTime or encourage you to do those types of things digitally in terms of social media platforms and, you know, YouTube live videos and all the things that these guys can do because there's such a market for, you know, content and streaming and eyeballs that, you know, any, but like the thing too, is like anybody who transfers could have done what he did, you know, five-star player from Georgia who said, you know what, when I, my YouTube channel gets to a hundred thousand views, I'll announce where I'm going could do the same thing, but it's encouraged there. And, you know, I think they're it's gonna funny. Be, they're going to get prime TV spots too. Next year, they're going to be on ABC Saturday. You know, now you better be good. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like if they stink, (laughs) then it won't be because I do think that there is one aspect that nobody said, but I've thought is if Dion goes there and for two years are not very good, like it's going to wear off. You know, it's the same thing like with a Will Ferrell movie. He made a lot of really awesome movies, Wedding Crashers and, you know, old school and all that. But after five or six years of making the same type of movies, they stopped making them because we kind of got the picture. So, you know, as long as Deion Sanders is is entertaining right now, that's great. But I also think, too, at a certain point that 
you know, to steal from a Wolf of Wall Street, the chickens are going to come home to roost. And if they're not winning games, then it's going to be less interesting to consume. So, but Manny, I, I wanted to say it isn't surprising at all that the first NIL uh, holdout or uh, NIL going off the rails is in the state of Florida, is it? Not at all, man. That's what we're known for, right? That's what, that's what we do here in Florida. We screw things up. Uh, I, no, in all seriousness, this whole Jaden Rashada mess is just—it's uh, so it is so Florida. It really is. Um, and and just from talking to Alan Taylor, who, who I think has done a phenomenal job with with this story, uh, it, it's just how how basically Florida and the people around the program have admitted that they screwed up, right? Like this essentially is them saying, like, yeah, we, we made a bad deal with with the recruit. Our collective did. And now we got to deal with the consequences and who knows what the next chapter is. If this is going to end up in litigation, I would assume it probably will. But uh, it, it's just wild that, you know, Rashada, again, another guy that that I was sort of following early, early on from, you know, Mitch knows this from, from me going on a couple of these seven on seven trips uh, and, and out in Vegas and uh, meeting with him and his father and, and, you know, he's supposed to go to Florida. Next thing you know, he's going to Miami for a visit. He's committed to Miami, flips to the Gators uh, here where I think he wanted to go along. And and then, of course, you know, signs signs on the dotted line and and uh, they want to take his, his big contract away. I was just blown away by the fact that it, it escalated to $13 million. Uh, I, I never imagined in my wildest dreams it would go that high for a kid like Jaden. Yeah, they, they go across. Uh, obviously, Cormani McLean's an in-state kid, but they can create Miami and Florida can create all this drama with a kid from 4,000 miles away. Yes. too. So they, they can <laughs> they can do it wherever they want. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you need anything to add before we move on? on I think on it's just an interesting scenario because uh, this is, I think, going to give us a peek into the curtain of something that's going to happen all the time, which is when you're dealing with people who are offering you certain amounts of money that don't even seem rational. Like you just said, Manny, 13 million blows my mind. I just like looked up Aaron Rodgers' base annual salary. Um, and I don't know if that's a correct number, but uh, he he – is making I think fifty eight million dollars over the course of a his contract, uh, and like that's like almost a quarter or twenty percent of Aaron Rodgers' deal for a kid that, frankly, I saw at the Elite Eleven and had a hard time hitting his targets. And I'm not saying right. he's not very good. It's just a sobering reminder that these guys aren't developed yet. So when they're not developed, it's a it's a it's a bigger risk than getting a a transfer a guy who has you know you know proof on film. It's just like. This is going to be something that I think happens all the time until we figure out how to, you know, properly regulate it. I, I think this, the story here is the Florida Collective and the Miami Collective 
fighting sort of just going all out right to win to win the battle the public image battle right we florida was pissed that miami was able to get rashad at a flip he was going to commit to florida in in june uh before he took that late visit and i think this just came down to a bunch of guys running a collective who you know this is an ego contest who's going to win and they wanted to beat john ruiz and they, they made this outlandish deal that they knew that they probably weren't going to live up to and they just had to beat Ruiz at it. And again, that's so Florida, right? That's, that's just what we Well, the, the question I had for you, Manny, is um, what is, is there like, and not that we've seen the contracts here, mm-hmm. but is there a certain expectation that you're not paid until you sign a national letter of intent? And if you're Rashada or a prospect in his position who has offered something, um, why sign that document? Because it just adds to me a, a level of, um, another hurdle that doesn't really need to be in place when you can enroll in a school and never sign that document. You know, do you have to sign it to get the money? Is that the way they're set up? Yeah. I mean, look, I've only seen parts of one contract and and that was the one uh, related to Nico. Um, and I, I don't think there's anything ever written in the language that specifically says, um, you know, you have to sign a national letter of intent to get paid. I don't know that that's necessarily declared because I don't know what's legal and what's not. You know, it's all a gray area. Yeah, it's all such a gray area. Um, but I, but I do know that ultimately the way these contracts are written, and, and from talking to John Ruiz myself a couple of times about this subject, um, ultimately it's about once they're on campus, what the the amount of hours that they have to put into to whatever the deal is, whether it's community service work, whether it's signing autographs. So everything is written into them not making money until they're on campus representing the university and participating in these events as somebody representing the university. But so, so the, the, why did the problem happen right at signing day? Like, it seemed like that was the thing, right? He signed his national letter of intent right. and he didn't enroll five or six days later. It's like, do you expect a check to clear the second you get on campus? And maybe so, maybe you don't know this. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. It's just, right. it's kind of a hard thing to wrap my mind around because it's just like, based on what you just said, I wouldn't sign it. I would just show up. And if I don't get paid what I'm expected or I, I don't the terms of the deal that I understood it didn't happen, then I would just leave and mm-hmm. go somewhere else. Um, and that's the thing that's I, I wonder if kids are just going to stop signing them because it's just another document that they don't have to sign. That's going to bind them in a world where the financial um, promises may or may not be kept. Right. I mean, ultimately, the, the, the NILs have all the power here. They can lie to everybody that they want. Right. And say, hey, we're going to pay you this amount of money. And then until the kid shows up on campus. Uh, they could try to renegotiate the deal and, and, and bring it down. And, and in this case, the Rashadas were ready to fight that. Um, and, and I think, you know, ultimately, you're right. Why, why sign the, NL, the, the name image, uh, not the name image in Likas, but the NLI, the National Letter of Intent, if, if, if guys are going to screw with your money and change what they offer you? Uh, but I think in this case, it's, it's kind of like good faith. You have to just believe that that's what you're going to get once you step on campus. And, and there's really no rules to protect the athletes. I mean, yeah. the way the way everything is 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 running right now, they have to believe that whoever they're uh, signing with is going to come through and deliver. And, and, you know, to this point, Ari, we really haven't seen many publicized. We haven't had a lot of people calling us complaining, saying that we didn't get the check. Right. I mean, I, I haven't come across too many people that have that have called me and said, hey, I'm not getting paid by that by that collective. I mean, uh, the thing that we were just to- when this whole Rashada thing was going down, we were texting about, I think it's fascinating. But according to NCAA rules and a lot of our listeners like bang their fists against the table when we talk about this stuff is that you are technically not allowed, 
according to NCAA rules, enforceable or not, to induce a player financially to come to your school. That's we all agree that with that, right? That's that's a rule. Um, isn't this entire situation just admission <laughs> on both sides that that actually occurred there? And like, is there inf- is it possible to enforce this? From an NCA standpoint, I personally think it isn't, but like, I just want to know. I just don't think they will do it. I don't think they'll go down that road. I don't think they will win. So the rule Uh, doesn't exist. I mean, a rule can exist if you don't enforce it. I mean, I don't know. It's yeah. Yeah. It's because it's it's like, you don't, the NCAA doesn't want to go into another courtroom, right? Right. So uh, I was going, I was going to say, and this is nothing, I mean, something we've all thought, but we're, we're doing a college baseball uh, coaches forum where I'm talking to coaches from around the country about various topics. And I ask them about NIL in college mm-hmm. baseball, some interesting answers, but I was talking to one coach this morning on the phone off the record about NIL. And he was just like, what are these programs going to, you know, he's kind of from afar, you know, he knows what's going on in athletic departments. He's like, what are these coaches? What's everyone going to do when these kids aren't, they show up and they're, they can't play and they're in their second year and they're expecting all this money from this collective. And the coach doesn't want them around anymore. He says, it's just, it's a recipe for disaster, and we're not at that stage yet because we're 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 is that still year in, three. Yeah, this is think- a, a year three, or you know, we're not. The, the, I guess some some guys from last signing class are there, but it's really from this class of twenty twenty three is the first year that it's. And really- my understanding for the NIL contracts are that they are built in with annual like tiers, right, where you get paid a certain amount your first year, second year, third year. Um, so maybe that'll help eradicate those issues, but. Um, are these players actually signing legal documents that bind them to a contract? And if they are um, for their own protection, the same way that you, you and I and and Manny probably sign employment agreements with the athletic. um, If they are binding agreements, are they enforceable in the court of law? If the collective decides later down the line that they're not going to pay you or you're not worth that money anymore. Um, and like the thing too, it's like I find so fascinating is that like if the Rashada thing goes to court, the the litigation fees that are going to rack up on something like this because it is so, it's just like so gray. Like I, it's like you're going to be spending a lot of money on on something that really hasn't you know come to pass yet. So you know this whole thing is kind of a disaster, um, and I think this is going to be the first of many as it pertains to it. And I wonder too. What this means for Florida's collective is they try to sign other players when they, you know, they try to go after a guy and then they'll ask him what happened with Jaden Rashad. And they'll be like, we made a bad deal and we didn't pay him. Like, what's going to, they might be harder to believe down the line that they're going to pay you if they're recruiting you. My, no doubt. And, and we're going to move on in a second. And Manny can speak to this probably better than I can. But my guess, Manny, is that the Florida collective does not have the best reputation in, in, a, in, a, in a sea of murkiness that, People aren't looking at Florida as a uh, you know a reputable operate their their collective as a reputable operation right now. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think it's beyond fair. I think <laughs> without question, you know, if, if you're a 2024 recruit, right, and you're seeing Jaden Rashada go through this, you're wondering, um, hey, are they actually going to deliver? Now, if I'm that collective, I'm getting as many guys that I do have signed that are getting paid to come out and say, hey, we're we're, we're making our nil money, you know, and and we're we're okay. You have to kind of, you know, play, play the public war, right. And, and, and fight back and say, Hey, we're, we're, we're making our money from these guys. They do come through with payment. I think ultimately the best, the best way for this Florida collective to operate is just admit we screwed up, right. There's our one-time mistake and, and we're, and we're trying to fix things and, and we still are paying our players. So, you know, when they were talking about the CJ Stroud thing, 
Am I allowed to finish my thought or? Yes. Okay. Because everybody on watching this on YouTube can see you going I know. like this to your neck. Well, okay. I, I mean, there, uh, how many times uh, are we going to say we need to move on? Well, I think this is the most interesting topic of the show. So, okay. Uh, Manny, are you I, ready? I, Ari's going to share the most interesting topic. No, uh, the thi- the, no, no. I think that this topic we're discussing is the one that people want to know is. about. Um, there was some rumors that C.J. Stroud could potentially return to Ohio State, right? And I went and looked at like what a rookie contract would have been. Uh, for him in terms of like what he would make in year one and like trying to think like what would Ohio State's collective have to come up with uh, from a package financially to get this done. And it, I, I came to the solution that it, that would be 20 million. Right. Because isn't, isn't so, there a bonus aside from everything? Yeah, it's, it's, like like a, it's not. It's so insane yeah. how, what a rookie, especially a top five pick, they'd have to come up with that amount of money. And it, it got me thinking like that's so much money. And I don't know if CJ Stroud is worth it. Um, not that he's not a very good player and, uh, you know, the way he played in the Georgia game might be a, you know, a nice indication of what kind of pro he's going to be. But like if you're if you're Florida and it was 13 million or you're another program like Ohio State that has the the collective power potentially in theory to pay an individual player 20 million. I like to think to myself, like, that's a lot of money for inducement. And I feel like you could really make a loaded roster. Like, I mean, even think about it, like 250 grand guaranteed or 500 grand guaranteed probably goes a long way with many of the top 100 players, right? Um, Because I especially don't think that a lot of these contracts uh, or amounts that are being reported are even true. Like, if there was a $20 million surplus of cash that they had laying around for CJ, like what kind of badass recruiting class they could sign with that money the following year? Um, And to me, I think that would be money better spent to sprinkle around, get a left tackle, get a linebacker, get a safety, get a running back. And, you know, do it that way. So it's just like to think $13 million, even over the course of a four-year period for a player who may not even be good, it's just an astronomical amount of money that doesn't even make financial sense to me. You did that survey, anonymous survey, probably about a year ago or six months ago, Ari, about we're asking staffers, recruiting staffers, how they would allocate money. And that's, that's a good question to ask. If you had $10 million, would you pay it? to your known quantity at quarterback to come back for one more year, or would you disperse it to seven guys, including two, no doubt about it, you know, linemen and, and, a, and a cornerback? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of monopoly money, but it's kind of not monopoly money because it does exist in some places. Yeah. So. And how long this will continue, I guess, is another discussion. Yeah. Um, but we will discuss this more. I have a feeling this will not be the last time. We'll, you want me to move on, Ari? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think I thought you might be scratching your your, your prodigious beard there. Um, um, we will uh, be speaking about NIL. More to come. I have a feeling. Um, so Manny and Grace put together ACC Recruiting Confidential. If you've been reading the Athletic for the past year and a half, you've listened to us. We've done a series of uh, state recruiting confidentials. Manny partook in the the Florida one, which was very interesting. We've done them for a lot of states. We got one coming up on Washington soon that Christian Cable's putting together. We're going to start doing some conference ones, and Manny and Grace did it. Some some good stuff. I want to go over some numbers here, but Manny, my kind of takeaways were that, and they talked to high school coaches from around the ACC footprint that have sent kids to the ACC. So it's not just some high school that you know might have sent one kid in the last five years. It's is that Mario. Uh, crystal ball recruits like an ACC, an SEC coach. Dabo Sweeney is very well liked and still does things his own way. And everyone else is just trying to catch up to those two. Is that relatively accurate? 
Yeah, I think I think without question, um, I, I think for the most part, those two guys are, are sort of looked at as as the, the gold standard from a recruiting standpoint. Who's going to do the best job recruiting? You know, those particular players from those schools. Uh, you know, who's sort of always reachable? Um, who sort of has the best plan? I think those two guys without question. But there were some other coaches who, who got a lot of credit. You know, I, I, I sort of my favorite questions always related to the assistant coaches. Yes, because I because I feel like those guys are really the ones that do a bulk of the recruiting for Mario Cristobal. He's the guy, right? He's the main recruiter for Miami. Uh, but for a lot of these other programs and, 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 you know, coming across Florida uh, and speaking to a lot of the Florida coaches since I'm down here, um, Pittsburgh, you know, their staff got a whole lot of credit um, for doing a great job. And I think they ended up signing seven kids out of, out of Florida this year. Um, and, and so to me, I, I always enjoy that aspect. The other question that I, that I kind of threw in this year, and I think it's part of part two of our, of our two-part segment that we, that we put out, was copycats, right? Like how many of these coaches actually do their own homework, their own research before they come to their school, or do they just offer off of um, you know, what other people are, are offering? If Alabama comes in or Ohio State comes in, do they just offer a kid automatically? And uh, it, I would say, based on all the conversations I had, uh, probably 20% of the, of the coaches who come in actually do <laughs> their own homework and are ready and prepared to talk about kids. You'd, you'd be surprised to see how many coaches can't even pronounce the name of some of these players when they, when they come on campus. They, they don't even, you know, they, they have no real relationship with them, but they come in and they offer and they, and they want to talk to them. Um, all of that to me fascinates me, the way all this is sort of put together. Yeah, well, yeah, one thing that I I'll let you go in a second, Ari. That I've always found interesting in recruiting is when coaches show up at a school to recruit someone, and they say, "Oh, who's that kid?" You know, mm -hmm. uh, they see someone else on <laughs> film. Um, I think that was we've done so many recruiting stories, Ari. I think it was one of yours. Was it someone where a kid walked by? Yeah, who was it? Where he walked by the office? The coach was waiting for someone else. Arian Carter. Yes, he walked. Was that it? He walked by. I think so yeah, yeah. Because again, you've done so more. Oh no, no, that no. was the that was the kid, for, uh, C.J. Donaldson, the running back at West Virginia. Yes, yes, yeah, from, yeah. from Miami. Like yeah, yeah, and and the, they he did, basically didn't have a position. So there's so many great stories like that. And as as a tangent, like I think it was, uh, you know, who was it? Wide receiver for Western Kentucky. You played for the Titans for a few years. Uh, Jeff Brom found him in Western Kentucky just uh, watching a high school basketball game. I think watching somebody else, and mm -hmm. then he jumped out. So there's so many great. Stories like that. Go ahead, Ari. Yeah, I think one of the main uh, questions in your guys's um, confidential that I thought was most interesting is, you know, it is the Big Ten and the SEC, right? Mm -hmm. um, in your opinion, you know, if if you take away the two that you like, Cristobal and and Dabo, like, does the ACC have a chance to be competitive, or are they doomed to be the Big Two and the Big Twelve, like like it, the Big Twelve was a little bit ago? You know, I, I don't know. Is the ACC really going to be hurt by this? Um, I, I, it's hard to say because because of the twelve team playoff, right? Like if they can still sneak two teams into the playoff every year, I think most people would say, okay, the ACC is still a respected conference. I, I think between Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and maybe North Carolina, when they've got talented quarterbacks like Drake May, you probably have a shot of getting two of those four in. Like once Mario gets everything going the way he wants to, I mean Norvell, I think he's sort of proven now that he's pretty good at this transfer portal thing. Most people are expecting Florida state to be good next year. So I, I think if, if they can sort of maintain it, the ACC will be respected. Um, not to the extent the SEC and big 10 are, but certainly not, I think embarrassed, which I think a lot of people have maybe looked at the ACC that way and say, Oh, that's a trash conference. They're, they're really not a part of this at all. Um, you know, they still have 
Clemson's national championships. They still have Florida State's, you know, 2013, 2014 title. So I, I, I think from from the way recruits view the ACC, um, I think there is some level of respect, but it, it certainly isn't the first class. I mean, a- SEC is it. And then I think the big the Big Ten. And then after that, it's kind of, well, you know, where are the best coaches at? Where's the most NIL? Yeah, I think that the perception stuff is interesting, but I also think the more pertinent and qu- pertinent question is, once the SEC and the Big Ten contract money starts flowing into those schools, whether or not the mm-hmm. ACC will financially be able to keep up. Yeah, that's. But we're a couple of years away from that because we still haven't seen a sizable gap. I think it's going to progress to that, obviously, with the TV contracts as it picks up. But but right now, I think it's it's not that much of a sizable gap. I think where you're going to see it is in the coaching ranks, right? Like who the quality of assistant coaches, the coordinators. The moment you start seeing quality, you know, assistants from Pitt or wherever. The guys that are winning those recruiting battles going to the to the Big Ten and the SEC because they're making a, a boatload more money there. I think that's when you'll when you'll start to see that difference. I wonder if it'll ever be a case where the offensive coordinator of Purdue is a better job than the offensive coordinator at Florida State. Could like, like, is, is that ever going to happen? It might. It might be a more well paid job. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, and yeah. then if if it's a more well paid job, that means that better people are going to go, and it's going to elevate Purdue. And I just like wonder if in 15 years. Uh, you know, and who knows, in 15 years, there might not even be conferences anymore. But like, it's just uh, it's just a crazy thought, really, when you think about how much money it's going to be so lopsided. Well, you know, this we'll, we'll never get to this, but we, we see where. A guy like Sean Lewis leaves a, a G5 job to be a coordinator at a P5 job, and we've seen FCS coaches, uh, you know, head coaches leave to be position or coordinators. I don't think we'll ever get to that. But you don't? You don't think it's possible that NC State's quarterback or head coach would go be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State? No, I don't think we'll get to that. But so. I, I think I think the twelve team playoff is the thing that's the wrinkle that we really don't know because in the end, these guys are going to want to right. They want to make the playoff, and there's only so many spots the SEC and Big Ten are going to get. Like if you go to the ACC, you know you'll have probably a better opportunity. I think you know winning that conference than than you would going to the SEC where Georgia and Alabama and everybody's loaded up and ready to kill you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The playoff thing is just interesting to me because, like, Manny, you're right. Everybody wants to make the playoff, but do they want to make it more? They want to get paid? Yes. Because well, they they're already making a lot of money. They're already making – I mean, Ari and I, well, Manny, we, we go back and we have different views on finances to some degree. But mm-hmm. if they're already making a ton of money, I want to be in a position where I can win the extra X ex- – percent more money doesn't influence me but that's me Ari. you would always go for the money 
I don't think I would always go for the money. I think I'd go for happiness if I was if I was reached if I reached a certain level of wealth. And all these the guys excess. are. All these guys are compensated. They're 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 all above whatever line. But it I is. think that it's like I was watching the Bernie Madoff thing. I Netflix. was too. I keep falling asleep while watching it, but uh, I've been watching yeah. it. Um, and I thought to myself, like this guy was already so absurdly wealthy before this. Like, why would you possibly do something that would hurt so many people to get money that you couldn't even spend if you wanted to? So like that type of mentality, I think it's just kind of a sickness, uh, you know, to do what he did. Um, but I don't know if the jump from two million a year to seven million a year is quite that. Like, I think like two million dollars a year is a hell of a lot of money, you know, and you could live a very comfortable, you know, blessed life making that much money over a five year period. If you make 10 mil in five years, you're probably good for life. But I think that the jump from two to seven is way more significant than you think it is to people. Yeah, I mean, it's everyone's got their own opinion. Two to sevens. Two to seven a year, a I think, yes. would make somebody leave a job that has an easier I, path. Yeah, to that, that's not what I was yeah. envisioning in my head. But go ahead, Manny. I was going to say there's only so many coordinator jobs, right, where, where you, you would probably see a difference like that. I think the bigger difference will be wide receivers coach, defensive line coach, like – it's those guys that it would be a sizable difference in terms of what they're making. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the coordinators, again, there's only so many jobs that are available. And then, you know, what what ultimately do each of these coaches want to use that job for, right? Nobody wants to be a coordinator forever. They want to eventually move into a head coaching job. The majority of the coaches do, right? They want to move up. Yeah. So it's just sort of what's the best place to springboard you. But I get your point. Money will, will without question affect decisions. I just think it'll, it'll it'll probably be more effective at the lower levels. That's where you'll see sizable gaps. Yeah, and I don't know if Sean Lewis is the greatest example because he probably figured going to be the offensive coordinator in Colorado and having a great offense will help him get to his ultimate goal of being a power five coach faster than being the head coach at Kent. Um, so that, like, I could see, like, Mac level. Um, I just hope that we don't get to a point where – you know, we've got 31 teams in two conferences and everybody else can't even manage to compete financially. And it's like we're talking about salaries of assistance. But what about overall recruiting budgets? I mean, like, think about how much money Georgia's spending and they have got more talent in their own state than to themselves and any other team has to themselves in their state. And they still spent twice as much as most other teams last year or two years ago. Um, and if you have more money for recruiting budget, that means more Lamborghinis on the field, more photo shoots, more travel, um, you know, more higher end meals. When, you know, it's just like the amount of stuff that you can buy with. I mean, the Big Ten and the SEC is going to have to figure out a way to spend all this money because there's only so many waterfalls you can put in your your athletic building. You know, at a certain point, it's going to have to trickle into salaries and recruiting budget and stuff. And I just wonder if there's going to be a point where it's like you can't financially compete in any regard. And if that happens, then I think we're going to have a real have and have not situation in college football because it starts from recruiting up. Yeah, I think the uh, sorry, man, the, the psychology going back to your Sean Lewis part, the psychology of the whole situation is interesting to me. He was a successful coordinator at um, Syracuse. I think they won 10 games when, when he was there. So he's like, Kent State, man, that's a, that's a tough job. They got no money there, but I want to be a head coach. I'm going to go be a head coach. So he goes there to be a head coach and does really well and probably was interested in moving up, And but he probably checked the temperature out there and there wasn't a lot of uh, momentum for P5, high-level P5 programs hiring the Kent State head coach. So then the psychology is, okay, I got to go be a high-profile coordinator again in Colorado right now under Dion's more high-profile than Syracuse. So it's just like this guy's worked his whole life to be a head coach, becomes a head coach, and is willing to take two steps back to maybe take four steps forward. Right. 
I was just going to add to Ari's point when he says, what do you do with all this money instead of investing it into uh, into waterfalls or, or whatever <laughs> on campus? How about just give it to the players, right? Why, why not just organize and say, uh, hey, we're making the most money. We don't need the NCAA. We want to start paying players and and get to the point where, where we all kind of just grew up with this whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of hope that we get to a point one day, and I'm sure you two will agree, that we don't have to sit here and speculate about NIL. Right. I hope that it becomes public information and we can just know the score. What I would love to see, and sort of piggybacking Manny's point, is because Ari and I, Ari writes about it, we talk about it. Our job on this podcast and writing recruiting has become more difficult because we just don't know who's getting what. Like, let's say the money gets to a certain point and it should be at a percentage. I'm just making this up. 29.7% of the TV deals goes to the 14 teams in your league and it's dispersed to the players and then we know what everyone's getting. And then we bring, then we can reintroduce the bag man, and fans can get pissed off at their fans at the opposing school for cheating again. Back like back in the good old days when there was some real good old fashioned cheating. <laughs> right. Uh, well, the thing too that's so funny about that is, like in theory, that sounds great. But if you are dispersing television money to the players, then the ACC and the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve have zero shot because well, the portion of the pie <laughs> that would be coming from that would be. And then there would be guaranteed money for everybody. And the question I think you have that gets murky, too, and, and this is an age-old conversation, is how do you uh, disperse that SEC TV deal? Like, how much does Bryce Young get and how much does Tommy Brockermeyer get? You know, like, that's – that's you can, can you do, like, equal for everybody? How much everybody? does the backup safety at Vanderbilt yeah. versus the Bryce Young? Yeah. So. Like, is it going to be the same money? And if so, that would be <laughs> – you know, that would be tricky, too. I mean, the thing about it is, is that it's like – the NCAA and, and college football in general has been skirting paying the labor for so long that it like puts our minds into a pretzel about how a fair compensate compensation package would even work. Like, is it up to the coaches and the like, does the school gonna have a GM that decides who gets paid more? And like, do are you going to have guaranteed contracts from the television money disbursements to the recruits saying you come to our school and we guarantee you'll get X percent of this 29% we're giving out no matter what? And then you hear then, from the backup wide receiver's dad. Why is my son yeah, not like getting Yeah, like Lad McConkley, for instance, like gets paid half as much as the five-star receiver that didn't catch a pass in the playoff. And he'll be like, what the hell's going on here? And then that could lead to transfers. Spoiler alert. I think it's happening already, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. I, right, but so, like, uh, the TV money, though, the yeah, TV yes, money. Yeah. So, if you think um, about 29.7%, that's 29.7% of a billion yeah, with a B. A lot of like, money. We're, we're talking about like NFL money now. All right. So in many did... Amazing research. And Ari, you know I like spreadsheets. I like research. Manny mm-hmm. did some research that I, I got into. I saw a spreadsheet and I, I just got intimidated. Um, is, it, is it the Miami, Florida, or is it the Florida recruiting spreadsheet? It's the ACC. Recruit, and I, Manny, I'm going to do this for the other leagues because I love this chart and I want it to be in our other recruiting confidentials. But Ari, you don't have this in front of you. I'm sure you saw it. Um, but Manny, from the last six recruiting cycles, went over where kids – who signed at ACC schools are coming from the number one state of producing ACC talent is Ari. You can probably guess, but it's Florida. Yes. Florida, 344 signees. The most have gone to Florida. The second most Florida state, number three, Louisville. Interesting. Okay. We won't do this for every state. What state do you think is the second most produce the second most signees to ACC schools over the last six signing classes? Hmm. This one's easy. It's hard. It after is? That. Yeah. I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with Georgia. <laughs> Georgia, you're looking at me like I'm an idiot. It's Georgia, of course. 
don't don't you think Georgia would produce? You look seem confused. Well, I was confused, but you were just telling me the answer. I actually was trying to think of a state in my head that rhymes with Georgia. <laughs> I know. I, I was trying to think of something funny to say, and I couldn't. But so Georgia just, makes sense. Yes, yeah, that's easy. 297. Georgia Tech with the most. I I might not have guessed that. I don't know why. I don't know what I would have guessed, but it makes sense. Obviously. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed it. I'll be honest. I thought because Georgia is such an S, but you, you got to – it's tricky because – Whenever these I'm are, thinking, these I'm are thinking, ACC signees, so yeah. And I'm, but it's like I'm thinking about like top tier talent. It's yeah, like what about the nine thousand three stars that came from Georgia that went to right. the ACC? Yeah, Clemson second and Louisville is third. Uh, the number three state. I won't give you a hint. Can you name it? North Carolina. Correct. Uh, two fourteen. NC State one. UNC two. Duke three. Virginia is fourth. South Carolina is fifth. Maryland is sixth. New Jersey seventh. Texas eighth. Pennsylvania ninth. Alabama. 10th and notable about Alabama is Clemson is first. They've sent 14 kids out of, out of Alabama. A lot of notable guys in that class. So just real, just check this out. This was in part one of the confidential part two is today uh, or Wednesday, a lot of NIL stuff And Manny, before we move on, the thing that, that was notable to me about NIL, the high school coaches that like we, it's, it's a mess. They just think it's the mess. And some of them were like, I don't want to be involved, which is kind of noble. Like they want to steer their, help their kids and they can help them on. Yeah. This coach is a, he's a standup coach. I like this program. They can help them maybe choose the schools for the quote unquote right reasons. And they just don't want to be involved in all the NIL stuff. Yeah. I think part of that is, is they don't want to incriminate themselves either. Right. Like <laughs> just in case the NCAA comes calling, Hey, who offered what? Yeah. Uh, but I, I think ultimately, uh, not that the NCAA will, right? I don't think that'll ever happen. Uh, but but at this point, I think a lot of it uh, for, for these coaches is they have relationships, right? Like the guys have been doing this for a long time. They, they've gotten to know these college coaches, and they don't they don't want to like tell a kid, hey, pick pick the school uh, or pick the money over the school. They they, they still want to kind of stick to their guiding principles, which is you want to go play for the best coach, the guy that helps you get to the NFL and, and develop you, and the guys that I trust. And so I think. Uh, that's why they don't want to get involved in the NIL conversations. You know yeah. what's interesting, and I, not to hijack this, but go ahead. Catherine B, our most uh, yes. loyal listener, it's a great and question today in the, in the mailbag. Yeah, and I thought it was an interesting discussion. She asked me, Manny, um, how do you properly evaluate coaches in the NIL era from a recruiting standpoint? Mm-hmm. And the first coach that came to my mind, and I probably should have written more about this in the mailbag, and I didn't, but I guess subconsciously saved it for the podcast is. How do we evaluate the job Billy Napier did? Like, you know, yeah. he he just signed a class that has, I think, the fourth or third highest. No, it's fourth highest average player ranking in the in the country. Uh, that might still um, include Rashada, but like they lost Rashada at the end. No five star prospects. I feel like his evaluation is really difficult. It is just because of, of of the way things ended, but I, I I told you guys the last time I was on here with you that I I you know I thought he did a phenomenal job in terms of just blue chip percentage. Like to me, that's that seventeen out of nineteen. I think if you don't count Rashada, uh, that's close to ninety percent. I think Ohio State and and uh, I think it's Alabama, the only other two schools that had a percentage that high in terms of their overall recruits. So to me, I, I thought he did a good job just getting the getting some of the, the best players out of different areas. Now, I know it's not there's no five stars in there, but he's got DJ Lagway already, you know, hooked up for the for the following year to replace Rashada. It's a long year. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a very it is a very long year. And who knows what this Jaden Rashada mess will, will create down the road in terms of problems. But I still think, you know, to me, he did better than his predecessor. Like that's my general opinion. I think from talking to a lot of people, 
uh, coaches and, and players, I think they like Florida more with him running it than they do Dan Mullen. Yeah, and Lagway's a stud too. Mm-hmm. So if they can if they can figure out a way to hold on to him, um, I just thought that it was just an interesting thought because it's like it is hard. You know, how do you evaluate coaches that work at programs that have more aggressive NIL inducement approaches versus coaches who work at places that theoretically don't? You know, it's like. I, I thought evaluating Jim Harbaugh was difficult because, uh, you know, there's so many other factors. It's like they made the playoff for the first time ever. They beat Ohio State, got there, and then they signed a class the following year that doesn't have a single top 100 player in it. It's like, what are, like, how do I do that? Because Michigan, theoretically, from what we know or what we've come to understand, is not as aggressive in inducing players. So it's like, did he do a good job? Did he do a bad job? Is it because he flirted with the NFL? Yeah, some of it's self-inflicted. It's like, it's like so some of it's hard. To like, yeah. it's like, can I? Can you like write a critical column of Michigan can't maintain this if they are recruiting classes like that? And then they've got the portal. It's like there's a lot of angles to this now. That I mean, like a two or three years ago, Mitch, it used to be like, look at the class, was it good or not? And now <laughs> right. it's like so so convoluted with different things to consider. And it's like you could actually make the case that considering Michigan's you know, stature in NIL and in the fact that their coach was flirting with the NFL and, and just got done doing it again, that they signed a really good class with those transfers they brought in. You know, it's just like a year by year basis. It's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard to be critical when you don't know who's behind the eight ball financially and who isn't. Yep. Um, go ahead, I, I, I was just going to add, you know, from, from my, the other piece that I did was another recruiting confidential from, from the Under Armour uh, all American game. When I, when I talked to those 15, uh, players, all of them who had pretty much already picked a school. Look, money money is important, but I, but the sense I got from from walking away from those conversations was from a lot of these elite kids, they left money on the table to still go play for their for the best coach. So it's a small sample size; it's only fifteen All Americans from this last cycle. I found that interesting, but yeah. I but I still think the best players in the country are going to go to where they can be coached up best and make the NFL versus. It, because it's smart. It's the right. smart thing to do. And we yeah. saw that from your ACC recruiting confidential too. There were no specific examples, but there were several coaches who said, yeah, I had a guy get offered this. He didn't sign there. He stayed committed to the school because he had a better relationship with the coach. So if, 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 if those kids were being honest to you and these coaches are being honest, I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but it is nice to hear kids. And, they're and getting, it makes you getting, question whether or not a team like Miami can build a playoff. Not a playoff. Everyone's going into the playoff now. Uh, <laughs> a team that uh, could win a national title doing it the way that they're supposedly doing it. Yeah, Manny, can uh, I just ask you point blank? Is Miami just throwing cash around? Like, is that your understanding? Like, how much of that is real? How much of that is is just kind of rumor? I know that they have uh, Ruiz out there who's kind of more public than some of the other people who are running these collectives, like is Miami just throwing cash around? It's hard for me to tell you Ari for sure, because I, I don't get the sense that they're just signing everybody to million dollar deals. When, when you say they're throwing cash around, are they signing guys for 35, 40, 50,000, you know, some of their, their lower end recruits you know, or, or getting guys to, to, you know, on the, at the bottom of the roster, to, that kind of money. Sure. I think everybody's making something at Miami, which is why I think collectively uh, they're doing a good job as far as NIL. But I don't I don't think like they're not paying Jaden Rashada 13 million dollars to come to Miami. They're not offering him a deal that outlandish. Um, I, but what I, I meant by that, not to cut you off, but I, I want to yeah. just make sure that you know what I mean. Is Miami one of the more aggressive NIL spenders like in relation to their competitors? I'm not I, saying they're throwing 20 million at. People, yeah, but like are they there's a reason why they signed a top five class this year because they have an attractive NIL compensation package. 
I think it's I think it's a combination of that and the fact that there's a lot of opportunity to come in and play right away because the team stinks. I think that's that more than anything else from from talking to a lot of the kids who picked Miami and signed with Miami, the Francis Maui goes of the world and and the guys who who could have gone and probably played elsewhere and had successful careers anywhere they went. I think a lot of it is their relationship with Mario and the fact that they can they can get everything else that they want because of NIL. Yeah, and he's a great recruiter. He did it. He's done it every stop too. So it's not like a guy who, yeah, yeah. Ari, who was never known as a great recruiter, come out of nowhere and sign a top five class. So if you would have said it's the common, I, like a lot of things, it's the combination. I'm just very interested to see if one of these teams in Miami, for right or for wrong, is one of the teams that is kind of. I think if you just polled random fans, who do you think is the most egregious NIL spender? You'd get a lot of Tennessee. You'd get a lot of Miami. There's the there's the there's a certain amount of teams that just kind of have that stigma now, whether that's fair or not. I wonder if one of those teams that has that stigma will win a national championship as a result of more loose spending than other programs, or if this will turn out to be a waste of money. It's a, it's a fascinating question, Ari. I think we got our first taste of it with Texas A&M, right? Right. The, the number yeah, one class A&M's in the country one. and they, and they went five and seven and, 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 you know, I think behind the scenes, if you put all those kids, you know, and gave them truth serum and said, be honest, how did how did NIL and all these freshmen coming in affect the locker room? I bet you a lot of the older players would say yes, without question. And several more than one of these baseball coaches I talked to talking about the transfer portal was like that. You know, what, what is it going to do to my locker room if I've recruited a guy to play second base? And then I bring in the, the Big 12 player of the year who's a second baseman and bring him in. And that guy I recruited is not playing. It's that's that can be applicable in any sport. Coaches are very, very concerned about their chemistry in their locker room. Um, let's take a look at some quarterbacks. You guys mentioned uh, DJ Lagway. So class of 2024 quarterbacks coming off the board, not much movement later, but there are four or five stars in the 2024 class. Two of the four are committed. Dylan Raiola was committed, not committed now. A lot of Georgia smoke there, though. Yeah, and um, Manny has talked to Julian Sayan. A uh, kid from what Carlsbad, California, who's committed mm-hmm. to Alabama. We're going to have a story on him probably early next week. Uh, Jaden Davis from Charlotte. Looks like what Michigan, Penn State, Clemson, seen some Tennessee. And then DJ Lagway from Texas committed to Florida. There are seven top 100 quarterbacks. There are 26 right now blue chippers in the composite. 11 are committed. The recent movement was Auburn and Adrian Posse. Um, Florida kid, I believe, right, Manny? Um, yeah. Number 187 parted ways, which was interesting. He committed to the previous staff. I don't know enough about him and his skill strength that, that if it was a Hugh Free, like who who parted ways first, so to speak. But it's not like he was a ranked 700. This is a top 200 kid who obviously can play. Um, so he's he's off the board there. So um, do you know anything about him, Manny? Yeah, he. When, it's funny. Uh, he was actually at another high school uh, at the start of the season, uh, Columbus High School, Mario Cristobal's high school, and then uh, didn't win the starting job. Got beat out by somebody else, and then and then transferred to, uh, I think it was Doral Academy, um, where where I think he's at now. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens to him this season. Uh, the fact he didn't play a whole lot uh, as a junior uh, probably is going to affect his ranking. I would assume down the road. But he was a kid that. You know, at least from the from the rankings perspective, a lot of the the guys love this size and speed and, and strength and all those kind of things. But uh, I don't know if he's really a a blue chip four star uh, prospect by by the time these rankings are final, finalized and, and he signs with the school. Ari, you know why we have Manny on the podcast? Because I can just throw out a random Florida quarterback and he he tells us 
all we need to know about him. Man, he knows his stuff, man. I always enjoy having you on, man. That was—I yeah. thought that was a tremendous show. Like I, yeah. we're not I think done. It was much, I know, but I think it was much better that I didn't interrupt everybody. It, it was okay. I <laughs> we would, have to have I, Grace on next week so I can show her some common courtesy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love one, you, Grace. One notable commitment, though, a quarterback. See, Texas got a commitment from Trey Owens, three-star quarterback from Cypress, Texas, four thirty-nine. And as Manny just alluded to, with uh, the, the posse, if that's how you pronounce his name, we're going to see a lot of we're going to see a lot of movement. All the kids, but we're going to see a lot of quarterback movement. These kids just finished their their junior seasons. They got the camp circuit. We're going to see guys skyrocket, fall, jump, and all that stuff. So take all of these rankings right now with the grain of salt. Some notable commitments. Again, I mentioned there, there was kind of a lull where there weren't many commitments after the um, early signing period. Uh, Penn State gets a lot. This just sounds like a Penn State guy. His name's Anthony Specka, linebacker from Pittsburgh. Kid was put on earth to play at Penn State. Uh, number 328. Rutgers, Gabriel Win- Winowith, uh, athlete from Michigan. Is that his younger brother? His brother played at Michigan, right? Uh, same Chase. last name. Chase. Chase, yeah. I don't know if Winovich. it's his brother, but how many kids with that name? you know, from Michigan, but I guess I could have looked that up. Probably um, more than two. Yeah. Clemson, uh, tight end from Illinois, uh, Christian Bettencourt, number one Oh two overall Georgia already mentioned. What is it? How many top 100 kids they have already? Six, six, um, Jalen Howard, a safety from Florida, number 34, Texas tech. It's a, a four-star running back from Houston. Uh, Johan, uh, Gardinas, number 284, your Arizona wildcats on the board with Jordan Washington, a running back from long beach, uh, number one thirty-seven. Were you involved in that uh, financial transaction, Ari, as an Arizona alum? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, low Yeah. I say this on the show, and I've said it a million times. I'm going to say it a million and one. If I were rich, like Buku dollars rich, yeah. the last thing on earth I would do is spend it on supporting a football team or paying a teenager. <laughs> 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 I, I Soon you'll be, in about 10 years, 12, 13 years, Ari, you will be supporting a teenager. So here's the thing that's so funny, and I don't know if I'm talking out of turn here, but who's the guy's name that in Miami that had the boat and all the recruiting violations? Nevin Shapiro? Yes. Like, I think he got like 85% of that right. He had the (laughs) boat. He had all the fun on the boat. Like, just there's no reason to bring Miami football players on a boat. It's your boat. Just do your thing on the boat. That's what interested him. Yeah. (laughs) Fandom makes you do stupid things. Yeah. No, I would have just, uh, I would have had the boat to myself. And I just would have enjoyed my life and I wouldn't have roped Miami football into it. But, you know, hey, everybody's got their own passions, I guess. All right, I got a speaking of passions. I got a question for Manny because Manny is uh, I, I just started working clo- more closely with Manny. I'm his editor now. Are you and I can tell by Twitter. Are is he you annoying a, as to you as he is to me? Are, are you Manny is not. <laughs> not, not so far. Yeah. <laughs> we can does also turn that around. Your, the, does he text you your errors while editing? He doesn't no. make errors. Okay. <laughs> we can turn this around too. Um, are you uh, clearly a Dolphins fan, right? Yeah. I'm born and raised in the city. Yeah. Okay. So like, are you like, are you like throwing, I mean, I'm sure you're proud of the team, pleased the team. Like when you're watching a big game, are you like, just clear out? I need to focus hundred percent. Are you throwing stuff at the TV? Like in a playoff game, what, what's your, what's your fandom like? Well, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll tune into the games, uh, but I, I really like, I had to like cool it. Like after Dan Marino retired, I was such a big Dan Marino fan <laughs> okay. growing up as a kid. And then I got into this business and it just became like, okay, you got to be professional and separate. Right. And, and, and I, I almost became a Dolphins beat writer for the Miami Herald okay. 10 years ago. So I had to kind of like separate. So I'll watch the game, but I've gotten into fantasy football so much that it sort of has replaced my fandom. Like mm-hmm. I still root for the Dolphins, but it's one of these things where 
Like I didn't even I didn't even watch the playoff game this past weekend, like every single play because okay. I had a feeling they were gonna lose to Buffalo. I didn't want to get upset. I'm just you like, had a feeling they were gonna lose to the best team in the NFL <laughs> while you're smart. That, that's why you turn into this podcast for inside right. <laughs> exactly. Inside it is funny because as you get older, because that's the same thing with me. Like as you get older, you replace like childhood like fandom, like a lot of people do with like gambling and fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just kind of fun that way. It's like I I grew up a a Cleveland Browns fan, um, and I would bet on the Steelers and root and paint my face black and yellow right now if I was if I had money on it. You know, like I I just have no connection because I think that's what this business does. Like it, yeah. you know, we're just it's hard to root like have like the genuine feeling of like euphoria that a fan does when you do this for a living because like you understand how it works and the business side of it and you see it every day and it's like you can't just sit down in front of the tv and go yeah the phoenix suns won today you know like it's just not it's just not there for me anymore like the lights out for me but the dolphins are are pretty cool they could get a good i mean i think they would have won the game if uh tua played yeah, they probably would have. The, the problem is that I don't know if two is ever going to play again with uh, yeah, unfortunate uh, concussions. Yeah. All right, he's never going to play again? Well. I'm worried. He might not. Three concussions in one year. I mean, I think he will play again, but that that's not. Oh, the I didn't know if that was a discussion point or, or, yeah. or something. Yeah, um, okay. All right, we got to do trivia. You ready for trivia? I'm, I've been killing it. I feel yeah, like okay, I well, I've got, a, I've got a Miami question, oh, and okay. then I've got one specifically for Ari. Is right. the Miami question who are the top ten highest rated players Miami's ever signed in the history of the no, program? No, I probably did that last time when he was here. Okay. okay. It's the he needs to rank the roster from eighty six one to eighty six based on how much NIL money they're getting. Because I'm privy to this information. <laughs> so I have it. So my, we're gonna see. I've I've got the contracts now. All right, Manny, ready? Yep. In two thousand and eight, Miami signed the number one class in the nation. They had nine top hundred, nine top one hundred players in the two thousand eight class. How many can you name? Oof. Um, most of them were from Miami Northwestern, so I should be able to remember this. Um, probably, I would say at least five or six. Okay, name um, them. Aldarius Johnson. Yes, he was fourth. Uh, Jacory Harris, quarterback. No, he was not there. Sean Spence, linebacker. Yes. Marcus Forston, defensive tackle. Yes. Brandon Washington, offensive lineman? Nope. Okay. Might have been, um, I don't have the class. I just have the top 100 guys in front of me, so I don't. I don't. Okay. Um, let's You're see. missing the number one guy. He was not in state. Ja'Cory Ar- Ar- Harris Ar- was Arthur. in that class, though. Yeah, he was. Ar- okay. Arthur, Arthur Brown, linebacker? Yes. yes. Um, who else? You have five more guys. Wow. Four. Arthur Brown, linebacker, cornerback. I'm going through the roster in my head so, so long ago. Yeah. It was Greg Cooper, part of that class, I, running back, no. not a top 100 guy. Okay, yeah, those are the four I know off the okay. top of my head. Brandon Harris, cornerback, Greg, cornerback. I should have known that one. Ramon Buchanan, mm-hmm. linebacker, uh, outside linebacker. Uh, Jordan Futch, yep, linebacker. Devon Davon Johnson, receiver, and Marcus Robinson, yep, uh, defensive end linebacker. There we go. Okay, Ari, this one's tough. <laughs> That's I thought same, I was going to look look that, at that class, and I yeah. looked at it while you asked Manny, and I couldn't remember any of those. Yeah, I, at some point, I mean, I was working at Athlon, then I was working in the college football world. I mean, I remember those names, but not a lot of. Just, I thought that was uh, you know, that might have been the what's the Chantrell Henderson class, but was that 09? That was 09, right? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that same year, Ari, 2008. Oh boy, Arizona signed the number 27 class, which was 
at the time, the program's best of the modern era until Jed Fish came in last year, uh, 2020, the 22 class in 2022. Arizona signed five chippers in that, five blue chippers in that. In 08? Yeah, 08 class. How many can you name? Buddy, I couldn't name a single one. I was in high school. <laughs> I, uh, I think I, can, I could actually name one because I can remember back to like, Okay. The uh, the good players that were on the team. Yeah, I mean, you lived in the state when so, I covered yeah. them for the yeah. student newspaper, and I remember that Robert Golden was a really high prospect. There I don't you know go. If he was in the 08 class. He was 08. He was a cornerback, number uh, uh, 120 overall. Yeah, that's so, it. Okay. the The other one was no shot. I'm going. I'm going to botch his name. Apiata Tihu Tilamaka. Tilamaka. Okay. Solomon Keller. Defensive tackle, 169. Then Jamarcus Webb was a uh, junior college transfer, but he was had a rating of a blue chipper. And then Matt Scott, I remember him, the quarterback, number 261. So I just wanted to, I wanted you to be involved because the question was steered to Manny. I didn't want to leave you out, Ari. Well, I appreciate that, hey, but I had no shot of that one. I, I know you guys want to wrap this up, and I want you to be able to do that. But I, I got it since I'm such a fan of the show, I want to actually ask Mitch a trivia question, if that's cool. Okay. Can I put Mitch on the spot? Is that all right? Yeah, to, to yeah. I'm happy you did that. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, Mitch. How many of the 34 five-star recruits in the 2022 cycle started games as true freshmen? Ooh. Did you I, look that up yourself, Manny? I'm so He's doing a story on it. I did. Oh, he's doing a story on it. <laughs> yeah. I thought he just did that only for the show. I was if like, you would have looked in our new recruiting well, Slack channel, you would have seen that he's no, doing a story on it. I haven't it. looked at any of that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, how many started a game as a true freshman? Uh, <laughs> I feel like Ari here because I'm going to say something. I'm going to be so <laughs> off. Um, 21. Good, good guess. Not, not too far off. 15. 15 okay. of the 34 started games as true freshmen. Eight of them started six games or more. Can That's you a- name, can you name the eight? Oh, uh, the five star, the five star freshman from the twenty twenty two cycle. Yes, this either of you guys, you can tag team. This I'm going to let Mitch want. go first, and then I'll okay. try to chime in if I if I can remember correctly. So I'm go ahead. See, I'm drawing such a blank on everyone in that class from the twenty twenty two. So they were freshmen this year. Um, I can't even. I'll There's pop- one really obvious one, and we said his name on this podcast. Who is it? Travis Hunter. Yeah. Yep. Does that okay. count? Yep. Yeah. That's one of that's one of the uh, the eight. Uh, Luther Burden. That's another one. Good, good, good one. Um, Cade Klubnik. Does that count? Because he started the Rose Bowl or the bowl well, game. Well, these are guys who started at least six games. So these guys oh, were like only legitimate. six games. Yeah, only only uh, eight guys started half of their team's games. Harold Perkins. That's another good one. Yep, great, great player. All right, you're, um, you're 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 dominating. Is did Devon Campbell for Texas start? No, did not. What's they the did. other lineman that started for them? It was Kelvin Banks. So that's that's okay, four Kelvin out of the Banks. Eight. Yeah, he okay. was the left tackle. Uh, Evan Stewart, correct. Um, did Williams at Georgia? Who's that? My, was it Michael Williams to Georgia? He he actually didn't start. He came off the bench. He played he a was lot. Good, right? He was he only started I think two games, but he was uh, in the in the rotation, heavily involved. A and M had a few though, right? Like, did Connor Wegman get the six? No, he only had like, no. three. Right? He had four. He had four. What about Denver Harris? Did not because he was uh, he got kicked half, off the team. Right, CJ Hicks didn't play much, did he? Ari, no, um, special teams only. 
Well, you want me to give you the answers yeah. to the other guys? Yeah, I've got okay. a 2.30 meeting, so we got to And unfortunately, it wasn't Drew Aller, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Sh- if, Shamar- Ari, if Ari was in charge, it would have been Drew Aller. <laughs> it was uh, Shamar Stewart from okay. Texas A&M. He started six games. Malachi Starks, the safety of Georgia, who, who started all of them. God, we should have gotten Starks. That yeah. one was easy. And then Nick Singleton, the running back at Penn State. He ended up starting eight, eight games. Wow. So thousand yard back. So actually compare and, and I'll just add this little line here compared to the 2021 cycle, because I did look this up. They had 35 five stars. Um, yeah, you only had 13 of the 35 starts. So two more this year in terms of true freshmen, in terms of I, I just like doing these kind of things because it shows you the impact, right? Like how quickly the guys step on the field. We all we always worry about these five stars and where they go. How quickly can they make an impact? I find that yeah. interesting. It is. Yep. Good stuff, Manny. Really appreciate you coming on. It will make it more frequent guest. Um, we'll come up with a, an official name. It won't be Florida Man. It might not be sexy Florida Man. We need to, <laughs> we need to workshop that a little bit more. Um, but Ari, you want to do your thing? Thank you so much for listening to the latest edition of Stars Matter. Uh, Manny, thank you so much for being on the show, and we'll catch you guys next week. 